Welcome to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. I'm Alan Arnold, and today you're going to be hearing John Eldridge give the second half of a message entitled, How God Grows Us Up. This was a message he originally gave here at a Minute the Outpost event. In the second part of the message, he looks at how God's kingdom operates on the principle of authority and how and why Jesus gives us, as his sons, that authority here on earth. Now, I want to hone in on tonight's lesson. I was praying for you and what Jesus wanted you to hear more on tonight, what he is trying to get across to us, is authority. Kingdom authority. Operating in authority. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? (laughs) That gets tacked on to the end of prayers with about the same amount of meaning as amen. Like people say amen at the end of prayers, sort of like we're done. Like, you know, this and this and my kids in the world and, you know, the missionaries and da, 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 my mother's health and I'm done now. Amen. Like we sort of tack it on like amen, amen is an ancient Hebrew word that was transliterated into the New Testament. Like it is a robust command. It means yes, done, so be it. Like that is not how people use amen, right? It's sort of like, it's like a period. You know, it has the emotional equivalent of a period at the end of your prayers, okay? Same thing with in Jesus' name. We just sort of throw it on at the end there. In Jesus' name, amen. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Why? What's that all about, okay? In Jesus' name is even more of a command, far more authoritative, far more let it be done, right? But it doesn't usually have that oomph to it. Well, most of the prayers I hear Christians pray. So this is really cool. I want to read you a story from Matthew 8. And we're going to talk a little bit about how authority works in the kingdom. So Jesus entered Capernaum. A centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. And then the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. And I tell that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. This is not one of the guys. This is a Roman soldier, right? He's kind of a mid-ranking officer in the Roman legion. He just comes up, and he's apparently a good man. Jesus has a heart for him. He says, yeah, I'll come. I'll help, right? And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says this. He says, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with faith like this. Okay, now, first off, can we pause on the word astonished? Did you know that Jesus of Nazareth could be surprised? The scripture uses the word surprised. It says astonished. In Greek, it means astonished. (laughs) Okay? Jesus is like, whoa! Well, I'll be! Fellas, this! Like, I've never seen this among you all yet. Look at this! Like, yes! Like, he's like, unbelievable. And what is it? that the centurion gets. He gets authority. He understands there is a way things work. 
right? And he recognizes Jesus's authority. You see that? And it absolutely thrills Jesus. He's like, oh my goodness, look at this, right? He's astonished. Most men never learn the ways of the kingdom. They remain stuck at about eight years old. And that's why in Hebrews 6, it says, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ. Okay, so it's kind of grade school. Let us leave grade school, elementary school, and go on to maturity, right? So there's the theme again. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. I'm going, wait, you consider laying your hands on people and healing them grade school stuff? I think I missed that class, right? You just hear the assumption. Let's kind of move on from sort of this basic stuff on to the next thing. Okay, the kingdom works on authority. The kingdom works on authority. That's how the kingdom works. Famous story, I've used it a ton, Daniel Chapter 10, right? The three-week fast. Daniel's been given a revelation from God. He has no idea what it means. It's of a great and terrible war. And he is so sobered by it. He's like, I need the interpretation of this. So he sets about himself prayer and fasting three weeks. Three weeks, 21 days. On the 21st day, an angel shows up out of breath. And the first thing he does is apologize to Daniel and says, I am sorry I'm late. Actually, God sent me the very first day you prayed. But I was delayed by the prince of the Persian kingdom. You're like, wait, wait, what? Like, okay, hang on, hang on. First off, most Christians had this idea of, they had the zap model of prayer, right? That kind of what you do is you just go, Father, I just ask for this. And if God's going to do it or not going to do it, it's just zap right? Zap and get it done. You go, wait a second, 21 days and an angel. And there was, what? Like this demon, it's a principality. The prince of the Persian kingdom is this mighty foul spirit that's holding this angel of God out of his jurisdiction, authority, so that he can't get to Daniel to bring in the message from the living God. Wild, wild. Like there is a way things work. And then listen, you know, he says, I'm here and here is why I'm here. The prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, he's talking about the great archangel, Michael, right? Came to help me because I was detained with the king of Persia. Now I'm here. And here's the answer to your prayer. And he gives him his answers to his prayer. And then on his way out, he says, by the way, I'm going to fight my way out of here as well. Authority. Authority. The prince of the Persian kingdom had authority over that realm, probably given to him by human sin, probably by Nebuchadnezzar, right? Human sin is what gives the enemy hold over bodies, people, churches, kingdoms, businesses, right? Adam's sin, that's how Satan became, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, Prince of the Persian kingdom has this authority over his kingdom. Angel can't get through. How's the angel get through? He pulls rank on him. He goes and he gets the highest ranking angel in the universe, right? And with his help, boom, now I'm through, okay? Absolutely amazing. Okay, the messenger got through the blockade because the mighty archangel Michael came and used his greater authority. That is what we are doing when we pray in Jesus' name. We are using his authority. 
Okay, so now a quick little review might be helpful here. God made the earth, right? Genesis 1, God made the earth. And he gave it to man. He gave it to man. The scripture says, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. Adam and Eve were the king and queen of the earth, right? Small K, small Q, but they were the lords of the earth. Small L, they were governors. They were given jurisdiction. God creates the earth. God gives it to Adam to rule. Adam and Eve, through their rebellion, through their sin, handed the keys to the evil one. So when the New Testament says, Jesus calls him the prince of this world, Satan is the prince of this world. Satan was never meant to be the prince of this world. Adam and all his sons were, right? But we forfeited, we defaulted, we surrendered the kingdom, we surrendered the earth to the evil one. That's why in 1 John 5, he says, now the whole world is under the power of the evil one. It wasn't meant to be that way. That's not the way it is in Genesis chapter 1 or in Genesis chapter 2. It takes place because of Genesis chapter 3, right? The fall of man, the abdication of authority, boom, evil one comes in, all right? It was interesting. I was talking to a guy who was in Washington, D.C. several years ago during the inauguration ceremony for one of our last respectable presidents. And he saw in the spirit realm demons rushing from every direction into the White House. Do you know why? Because of authority, right? Scripture says when the wicked rule, the people groan. Like you give authority over to different things, you let stuff in. Okay, well, we let stuff in at the fall there because of the fall of man Satan, who was not the prince of this world, became the prince of this world. All right. Now, the epicenter of like the whole thing is the intervention in Jesus of Nazareth, in the incarnation, right? In his life, in his death, in his resurrection, Jesus wins it back. He wins the authority back. That's why it says in Philippians, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is in charge. Jesus rules. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So all of it, the victory, the overthrow of Satan's right to rule, the transfer of authority, power, and dominion to the Son of God, this is what Jesus is referring to when after his resurrection, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Bam! Like, wow, are you kidding me? Whoa, he won it back. Jurisdiction. Rule, dominion, authority, power, the right, all of it, it's his now, okay? The kingdom operates on authority, and he has given you his authority. Luke ten nineteen. I have given you authority to overcome all the power of the evil one. And then in Ephesians 2, It says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ 
and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus. Like, what? You are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. You share in the authority of Jesus. And this is what Daniel saw coming. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I just think this is the most beautiful description in the Old Testament of what was coming. In Daniel chapter 7, he says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, nations, men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Okay, so he saw the coming of the securing of the authority of Christ and then the sharing of the authority with the saints. Okay, now let me show you how they got it. Like these guys got it, okay? Jesus spent an extra month plus nine or 10 days to make sure they got it, okay? And then you begin to watch them operate in it. So in Acts chapter three, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, okay? When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, okay? And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold, I don't have any money. He says, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by his hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Okay? Now, what is fascinating is they didn't call a prayer meeting. They didn't ask God to heal him. How did they do it? They used the authority they've been given. They don't even pause. They don't go, oh, Father, we bow before you. and we. They don't do any of that. They just go, all right, look at us. In the authority that we have been given in Jesus of Nazareth, in his name, walk. Boom. Like they get it. They get the transfer of authority. Okay. That's just one example of dozens, dozens and dozens and dozens. But the question is, as we move into like application of this, do you live and operate as if you were God's son, sharing the authority of Jesus Christ? Do you pray like that? Okay. All right. Like the centurion, Peter and John get authority. Okay. You ought to be walking and operating in authority by now. Taking authority over your home and invoking the kingdom there. Do you do that? Do you take authority over your home and invoke the kingdom of God there? Because if you don't take authority there, someone else is going to exert authority over it. Who has authority there, right? When you go into a hotel room, do you take authority over it? You better, because you don't know what all's been going on in that hotel room, and you want it to be holy while you're there, right? You don't want that creepy stuff hanging around, okay? 
You have no idea what's been taking place in that room over the last dozen years. Okay, so you take authority. You invoke the kingdom. This is absolutely fascinating. When Jesus teaches us to pray, and this is like, I hardly ever even use this because like the religious has this so deeply, it's almost mind-numbing. But the Lord's Prayer, okay? Like, how does it begin? He's teaching us to pray, right? Father, we worship you, okay? What's the next sentence? We invoke your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, now why would Jesus have them invoke the kingdom if the kingdom's always happening, right? He doesn't tell you to pray that the sun will rise. Pray that the sun will rise every day. He doesn't tell you to pray that because it's a given. It's a freebie. It's going to happen. You don't need to worry about that one. But he tells you to invoke the kingdom, right? And the reason why is because you need to. You need to. Like the invasion of the kingdom is underway now and you are sons becoming sons, learning to operate in the authority of the kingdom is absolutely crucial, absolutely crucial, okay? Those of you who are married or have children, do you bring them under your authority and under the kingdom of God? Because the scriptures make it very clear that the household structure is built on spiritual authority. This is absolutely huge. Bringing, in fact, all of your kingdom under the authority of the kingdom of God, your finances, your investments, right? Your work, your job, right? We were helping some friends consecrate their home a few years ago, which is a very good idea to do, by the way, when you move into a new apartment or new place. You want to dedicate it to Christ and, you know, worship there and invoke the kingdom and blessing. And that's so you want to consecrate it. You want to make it holy, holy. And we were beginning to pray and they just, boop, they just sort of jumped into, we pray for laughter in our home, Lord, and we pray for joy and we pray it would be a place of Sabbath. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, time out. First off, you haven't even taken authority here yet. Secondly, you haven't invoked the kingdom. The deal is this, like until things are under the rule of Jesus, they can't enjoy the blessings of Jesus, right? I mean, John 15, this is all about that. Jesus says, remain in me. Remain in me, because if you don't remain in me, you won't bear fruit. He's making an obvious implication that it's possible not to remain in him, (laughs) right? He's like, he tells us, he urges us, he begs, pleads, cajoles, warns, admonishes us, please, please remain in me, and then you'll have a fruitful life, right? You don't remain in me, it's a disaster, okay? So, for example, your sexuality. Like, you want to bring your sexuality into the holiness of Christ. You want to consecrate your sexuality to Jesus and his rule and authority, right? You don't want that just out there, open for whatever's walking by. Okay, praying with authority and not just asking God to do everything for you. When my sons were young, right? Yeah, we picked out what they wore. We chose the color socks, right? We told them basically what they could do and what they couldn't do, right? When they were very, very young, we even determined what they put in their mouth, okay? But by the time they were, you know, 10, 11, 12, and then on, like, you're not making those choices for them anymore, right? They got to grow up into some things, right? You don't want your college son asking you what he should wear today, right? He he ought to be past that by now. Right? So you're growing him up to be able to handle some of these things himself. Do you see how this operates here? So when I was praying about this tonight, one of the things Jesus said is, you ought to be operating in authority by now. 
in your life, in your kingdom, in your work, in your realm, right? Not the posture of the prayers of children. The prayers of children are beautiful. Father, help us. Father, be with us. Those are beautiful prayers. They're not like the prayers you hear Jesus pray or Paul pray. The prayers that are written out, you know, commanding prayers, authoritative prayers. I bring my home under the authority of Jesus Christ. I consecrate my home. I bring my work under the authority of Jesus, right? Because you want it under his rule. And then blessing can flow. Then you can invoke laughter and joy and those things in your home. It all comes back to how you look at Christianity, really. It all comes back to how you look at Christianity because Jesus called it the gospel of the kingdom. There's a whole realm called the kingdom of God that you have now become a part of. And there is a way things work in that kingdom. Learning how things work is what it means to become a son, is what it means to grow up. Because we are the sons of God, let us become the sons of God. So let me come back to McDonald here with one last quote. McDonald says his children are not his real, true sons and daughters until they think like him, feel with him, judge as he judges, are at home with him and without fear before him because he and they mean the same thing, love the same thing, seek the same ends. He will have them share in his being and nature, strong wherein he cares for strength, tender and gracious as he is tender and gracious, angry where and as he is angry. Even in the small matter of power, he will have them able to do whatever his son Jesus could on the earth. That's what it means to become a son. That's the trajectory that we're on, sharing in the very character and nature, the very perspective and desire thinking like he does, valuing like he does, making assessments of things like he does, and knowing how to walk in the authority that he has given you. There's a time. There's a time. It's a beautiful time in your life. There's a time for simple prayer. There's a time for Jesus be with us prayers. You bet. The Father smiles on them and he honors them. But he doesn't let us stay there. He moves us on in life into the mature and commanding prayers of sons, the very kind of thing you see Peter and John do, and then Paul does it in Acts 16, and then he goes on and teaches you how to do it in Ephesians, where he teaches you your authority in Christ and where you're seated and all of that. So that is probably enough for one evening. That concludes John's message for How God Grows Us Up. Starting Palm Sunday, we're going to have an Easter week series of podcasts, one per day, each looking at the week leading up to the cross. Thanks for listening. I'm Alan Arnold, and this is the Ransom Tar Podcast.